Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. church family. <clears throat> Excited to be here uh, with you to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 14. And so we're currently in a series uh, that is coming to a close, as a matter of fact, here in a couple of weeks uh, called Corinth Q&A, where we've been looking at uh, some of the questions that we believe the church in Corinth would have been asking of the Apostle Paul. And so we're currently uh, in a portion here on spiritual gifts that began with Pastor David in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and we're kind of continuing uh, into this. And Paul is going to be looking at kind of addressing how they should use their words, how they should use their gifts of tongues and uh, prophecy. So something that doesn't get talked about a whole lot. So hopefully uh, today you'll be able to learn a little bit about tongues and prophecy and the proper way to uh, administer and to use uh, those gifts. And so I've been thinking a lot about uh, words this week and the power that they hold over our lives and the experience uh, of our lives. And so uh, there's words that might come to mind, phrases that come to mind. Let me try a few of them out. Um, I love you. Uh, can anybody remember the first time they told someone, I love you? One person just raised their hand, okay? So hopefully you at least say it in marriage, all right? We have a marriage retreat coming, or marriage conference coming up in February. <laughs> oh my gosh. You could just, I would have allowed you just to lie to me just then. Yep, I remember, I don't remember the first time, but I remember the first time I told her, you know? And so how about this one? Will you marry me? Kind of felt like everything inside of your body was about to fall out of your body, man. Or maybe perhaps if you went and you talked to the dad, what he was about to say, those words mattered, didn't they? Just a little bit. Uh, What about this one? We say this a lot around heights. I'm pregnant. (laughs) Kind of changes the trajectory of a few things, maybe some ideals uh, you thought you had. It's a boy. It's a girl, right? Those things change. Words matter. Words initiate movements. Words launch new seasons of life. Words have power whenever they are used correctly. I could say words have power when they're used incorrectly as well, don't they? Uh, God places a high value on words. Think about it with me. God spoke and nothing became something. God uses words. They are powerful. God saw fit to give us the gift of the Bible, which is known as the what? The word of God. God found so much value in his word that the what became flesh? The Word became flesh. And so today, Paul is going to address the use of words in the church of Corinth. And he's going to tell them, right, that there's a way by which they can use this gift that's been given of tongues and and prophecy, and it will actually bring about edification for the church, and the church will be built up and be stronger and more mature and more effective. But then there's also a way that they can go about using tongues and prophecy, and God can use that to actually destroy the church, to take over the church and lead it to be less effective and less missional, can actually remove the spirit from that church as a whole. So that there is a, there's a warning here in the text that says, hey, you need to think about this and care about it and consider it as Christians. It actually matters. Even though we're a church that doesn't talk much about tongues and prophecy, turns out you have the word of God and you should care about what it says. And in the same light, there's a lot of churches that misuse tongues and prophecy. And we should simultaneously care a great deal about that as well. 
um, because it is, in fact, an abomination to the kingdom of God. And so the big idea, then, is words matter. Words matter. And then, hold your breath here, I have six points to show you this. I told him in the first service, when I'm done, we'll just cut the turkey, you know what I mean? Celebrate Thanksgiving together. Six points. I'm going to give them to you on the front end. Um, I don't expect you to retain them or write them all down right now, but I'll make sure that I'm leading Miss Debbie back there to keep the the point on the screen for you for the note taker and for those uh, whom are online. Uh, The first point will be desire the gift. Do not force the gift. Desire the gift. Do not force the gift. Second, gifts are personal, not impersonal. Uh, Third, gifts should build up, not tear down. Uh, Fourth, there's no edification without interpretation. Fifth, tongues without prophecy destroy the church. And lastly here, tongues without prophecy destroy non-believers, non-Christians, not yet uh, Christians. So it is important what we have to say. I'm going to try to be as clear as I can today. Last service, I actually ended on time. Praise the Lord. Glory to God, the church said. So, Point number one, desire the gift. Do not force the gift. Okay, desire the gift. Uh, do not force the gift. Let me read a couple of scriptures here for you. We'll get fired up. You're ready? Say ready. First Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians uh, 14.1 says this. Uh, pursue love. Pursue love. And earnestly what? Desire. Use your words. Desire the spiritual gifts. Especially that you may uh, prophesy. And so let me just remind you here just for a moment. A few weeks ago, uh, Pastor David kicked us off with talking about what spiritual gifts were from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so just by way of reminder, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, 8 through 10 says this. Um, For those that are wondering, what is a gift? What is a spiritual gift? Uh, This will make it clear as mud for you. Verse 8, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8 says this. For to one is given through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And to another, faith by the same Spirit. And to another, that's another person, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles, and to another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. There's a few different ways the scripture talk about tongues. We'll get there in a moment. Uh, to another, then the interpretation of tongues. And so, you put that point up for me again, Miss Debbie. Uh, the point that Paul here is making is that spiritual gifts are equal. Uh, they're not exalted at any higher level. The way by which you use them and the way that you can use them now, it, it matters because it can either edify the church at large or just edify yourself. And so there's a different level of weight that comes with different spiritual gifts, but the gift in and of itself is completely equal to every other gift. However, there is only one spiritual gift that exists that is in need of another spiritual gift. And so you have the gift of tongues, and it's most certainly, as we're going to get into, especially here in a moment, that you have the gift of tongues, you need to have the gift of prophecy to come alongside it and actually be able to complement that gift. It's the only gift that is requiring another gift to come alongside and kind of give it a hug and give it a little bit of help for the total edification of the body as a whole, of the church as a whole. And so tongues and prophecy goes together. Paul says it is good and right to desire the gifts, to desire all of the gifts, Regardless of your past experience in a church, regardless of your present experience in the church, the word says it's good to desire that gift, but do not force that gift. And so I have a a problem I would like to confess before the body today. It's been driving my wife mad for at least 13 years. And um, this is for you, babe. Thanks for being here. I have a problem in marriage where I will want a gift, 
I will tell Andrea, hey, babe, I'd love for you to buy me that gift. And if she does not buy that gift in the next 60 to 120 seconds, I'm going to buy that gift myself. And not only do I buy the gift myself, bless her soul, I give her the credit for it in front of the masses. So not only, am I, not only do I lack patience, but I'm also a liar. And so I'm conf- this is a confession for you today. And not only will I buy myself a gift from Amazon, a toolbox that she references regularly in our marriage that I bought before she could, but I'll like put on there from your amazing wife to the most amazing husband that's ever existed in the history of history, you know? And I'll tell you, hey, Andrea bought me this gift. And she'll be like, you're a clown. I most certainly did not. She's just nodding. You're right. Let's see. It's the only amen I'm going to get out of her all week or all day. But the reality is this what? I desired the gift, but then I forced the gift. And what happens then is it actually robs my wife of the beauty of giving me a gift. Even when she sees me exercising that gift, using that gift, right? I'm still forcing that gift. Paul comes out. He says, it's okay to desire the gift, but do not force that gift. Why? Because the second point, tongues are personal, not impersonal. Tongues are personal. They're not impersonal. They're not just for me. They're not just for my experience. They're not just about how I get to utilize and use that gift, but the gift should be used for the whole family in our case, and then by at large, then the, the whole entire body of Christ. Tongues are personal, not impersonal. First Corinthians verse 2 says this, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Now I want to say here, from my understanding, this is what I believe to be true based off 1 Corinthians 14 and the study I've put in over the years for spiritual gifts, that from my understanding, the Bible talks about tongues in two different ways. Uh, The Greek words that are used there are for, one is for an intelligible word and one is used for an unintelligible words, literally what it says in the Greek proper. And so if you think about like Acts chapter 2, if you're familiar with your Bible, and Pentecost happens, tongues of fire drop down on people, the apostle Peter drops this bomb sermon on everyone, they're like, what do we do, right? It's just like Sunday in here, just tongues of fire fall down. You're like, what do we do, pastor? I'm like, repent and be baptized. And we just start dunking people. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. All these people come to faith. The Greek word used there for a tongue is an intelligible word. And so it says in that text that the masses started showing up, the ethne started showing up, the nations came before them, and folks began speaking in a tongue that the nations could understand. That would be like if, by God's grace, I'm standing here, and you're a predominantly Hispanic congregation, and I get up, man, and all of a sudden, I can speak Spanish. And then as I'm, or I'm speaking English, but you hear it in Spanish. I don't know exactly how that part works. I don't need to know. But at the end of the day, you can hear and receive what I have to say for you. The intelligible word is given. Then there's also here, now more proper in, in the first Corinthians that we're in, that talks more about a prayer life, kind of like a private prayer life between you and God, where you're saying some things that you don't fully understand. The Greek word used there is an unintelligible word. It's not to downplay that. It's just the reality of You don't fully understand what you're saying, but you're praying unto the Lord, and the Lord knows what you're saying. There's this beautiful moment. I've never spoken a tongue, but I've talked with brothers and sisters who have, and they're like, I don't know what I'm saying, but there's this beautiful moment where I feel called up in the Spirit of God. The presence of God feels as if he is there. Paul is saying you're most certainly allowed to do that, but if you're going to do that in a public setting, among the fellowship, in the church of God, there has to be someone who comes alongside you to interpret that. Otherwise, the whole entire church is not edified. Are we tracking with that? You guys make sense? Make sense? I'm just moving the pulpit over to this side of the room, you know? You guys get what I'm saying? 
Okay, I need your help. I just want to be, words matter is the big idea. So what I'm trying to be very clear. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just trying to be clear. And so at any point then, when a tongue is spoken in a corporate gathering, interpretation must be present. Otherwise, it's very impersonal, right? And God's gift should not be solely impersonal. It should not be solely for you or solely about you, right? Think about the illustration I used. If I buy myself a gift and I say it's from Andrea, but it's not actually from her, that's really impersonal, right? I'm a really selfish man. Cat's out the bag. I'm very selfish in that regard. And so God's gifts should not be treated in that way. At the same time now, if you've been put into a position where you are forced to exercise a gift that you do not have, that's also very impersonal. And I know stories in the church where people have been in their upbringing prior to Heights put in positions where they were forced to speak in a tongue. I talked with a gentleman just a few months ago, and he was talking about his past church experience. And people were standing up all just all over the place, kind of chaotic, speaking in a tongue, they would say. And he said, what's happening here? And they said, oh, they're called up in the spirit, brother. You know, they're speaking in tongues. He said, how do I do that? The guy said, just start mumbling words and you'll begin doing it. It's the exact opposite of what 1 Corinthians, like, have you ever read the Bible, bro? Like, that's the exact opposite of what we just heard our brother read to us. That becomes very impersonable, right? It's, it's just about me in that moment. It's about exalting me. And so whenever churches come in, heaven forbid, and they say, hey, if you've not spoken a gift of, not spoken in the gift of tongues, you're not saved. Well, now you have a bunch of Christian, professing Christians running around looking at the gifts that God may or may not have given them instead of the grace that he most certainly gave them in Christ Jesus. And so now they're looking at themselves. That's the definition of legalism. It's the definition of religion. It's an abomination to the church of God. And so we do not focus on the gifts. Remember last week's sermon, but we focus on the grace of God that's been given to us. Why is that? Point number three, gifts should not tear you down. Gifts should build you up, not tear you down. If only I could get through three points this quickly on a normal Sunday, yes? Gifts should build you up, not tear down. I usually don't even get to the third point in my sermons. We just take communion, don't we? Gifts should build you up, not tear you down. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3 says this. Uh, on the other hand, now, on the other hand, listen, I'll be clear. Words matter. The one who prophesies, speaks an intelligible word, speaks to the people for their what? Their upbuilding, for their edification, for their growth, for their maturity in Christ, and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. That's not necessarily negative what he's saying right there. It's just very matter of fact, right? If I'm in a prayer language between me and JC, right, that is for me, that's between me and him. But the one who prophesies, now he builds up the church. Verse five, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but what? But even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater, not economically greater, just essentially, he's saying, just essentially greater because it comes with a greater value for the church body as a whole. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in a tongue, unless then someone interprets that tongue so that the church may be built up. Are you hearing what Paul's saying today? All right, let me be clear, okay? Prophecy and tongues, when used correctly, are equal, but the edification of the church shifts depending on how one uses that gift. Are we still together on that? Okay, some of you are nodding, and some of you are like, I'm still trying to figure out what a tongue is, bro. You know, I get, me too. <laughs> but when they're used together in concert with one another, the church is 
edified. The church is built up. Whenever you're praying in and of yourself, and think about it, when you're praying just for yourself, you're kind of edified in that moment, right? You feel closer to God in that moment. Paul's saying that is good and right, but at the same time, we're talking, we need to think about the whole body of Christ. When I make a decision, I got to think about the whole entire body of Christ when I make that decision. And so it is here. And so one can interpret the tongue, and now that tongue becomes a prophecy. Now that, word, that tongue that was unintelligible becomes intelligible. That word that was mysterious becomes revealed. And not only that, but then it becomes a word of wisdom, not just for me, but for everybody. And so then the whole entire church then is built up in that moment. It becomes a word of insight for everyone that can hear it. It becomes good news to everyone that can hear it instead of just for yourself, right? That's the way that the Holy Spirit uses it. And so in a gathering such as this, it would be not only sinful, but we're going to get there in a moment, far worse than that, for people to just start popping up in their seats and to start kind of speaking into the air, as Paul's going to say here in a minute. Right? That's not okay. What you see on TV, I'm getting ahead of myself, is not okay. But rather, if someone is to come and say, hey, I, this is something that I feel Lord has placed on me. It might not make sense to you, but here's what I have. And someone else comes in and says, hey, I know what that brother or sister is saying over there. I'm aware of that. I, I have no doubt in my mind about that. They begin to then interpret that thing. And then it becomes edifying for everyone, right? Fourth point then, there is no edification without interpretation. Hopefully these are flowing together for you. Verse, or, uh, not verse four, I apologize. Point number four is there's no edification without interpretation, right? It says, now brothers, verse six, verse six, first Corinthians 14, six. Uh, now brothers, okay, listen, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching, unless I bring an intelligible word is what he's saying. If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will know to get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. We still together? I think the Apostle Paul does a better job than me, yeah? Paul says then, if you're using this gift selfishly and you're doing it in front of others, you're just speaking into the air. Last week, you said you're a noisy gong or you're a clanging cymbal. You might be spiritually dead. You're of no use to the body. You sound like the pagans. You're inviting in pagan worship. This week, he says, hey, you're just kind of babbling about. And in that, we should actually care about this as a church body because you can look at things on YouTube, and maybe you have, and you can get up, heaven forbid, those of you crazies that get up at like 3 a.m. in the morning, and you can look on the TV, and you see this like mega church pastors, you got all these people, and they're standing up, and they're convulsing, and they're like, let the bodies hit the floor, hitting people in the forehead, you know what I mean? You've seen that on YouTube, and, um, and it, I would say it is an abomination to the church. I think it's a heinous reality, heretical response to the scriptures, it's no wonder that people do not believe that tongues exist because folks are constantly abusing the gift of tongues, not even abusing the gift. They're just acting like they're doing something uh, that's not. And so what he says is they're standing there speaking nonsense, you know, into the air. It's not a true, genuine uplifting from the Holy Spirit. It actually only edifies them. It only builds them up. It's all about what the, you can see them doing and how much money, really, they can make off what other people are watching happening in the church. And they say, well, that's a gift of the Lord. And it's not. It's an abomination to the Lord. It's a heretical madness is what it is. Verse 10, there are doubtless, I'm on a timer up here. I'm trying to stick to my guns. 
There are doubtless, uh, verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages. Listen, there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if you do not know the meaning of that language, if you cannot interpret it, right? If I do not know the meaning of that language, if I cannot interpret it, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations, that's a movement of the Holy Spirit. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. He's saying just because you know of a language, it does not matter if you do not have interpretation for that language. Now, let me just celebrate something here. I am at 201 days of Duolingo, okay? Been working on my Espanol. I know a lot of Spanish words. I still don't know what a lot of Spanish words mean. <laughs> and so I try very hard. Mario Ramirez is very gracious to me. Eric is, I don't even know how to say Eric's last name still. And Eric is very gracious to me as I'm talking. He's like, you sound like a caveman. I'm like, I get it, right? I know a lot of words, right? But I don't know the interpretation of a lot of words. Fortunately, I have him to interpret, more like decipher what I'm trying to say to him. But Paul is just continuing to push us out without edification, you have nothing, noisy gong, clinging symbol, right? Without interpretation, sorry, without interpretation, you are those things. There is no edification, verse 13. Therefore, because of everything that we've said, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may what? Interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. There's a disconnect between the intelligible and the unintelligible. There's a disconnect between the psyche and the soul. Verse 15, what am I to do? Well, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. There's got to be a connect there. However, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in a position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? Does that make sense? Yeah? For you may be giving thanks well enough. Like you might be doing a good job, but the other person is not being filled up. This is about the edification of the whole church. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So not downplaying that. Verse 19, nevertheless, in church, in the fellowship, in a gathering such as this, right, in church, among the people of God, not just like this, but among the people of God, I would rather speak, listen, five words with my mind that are intelligible in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so he's saying here, right, you can speak all the tongues in the world. If it's just for you, you only edify yourself. But as Christians, we're called to edify everyone. And it is prophecy that allows us to understand what has happened. It's prophecy that allows us to understand the gift. Let me illustrate it for you like this. Uh, Y'all know, that know me, you know my grandparents raised me just a great deal uh, of my life. And we were very, very close. And my grandmother, whenever she was on her deathbed, uh, gave me a box, a beautifully decorated box. And she said, Corey, everything you need is in this box. Everything that you need to sustain you, it's here. Everything you need to sustain your kiddos, uh, it's here. And even your grandkids. We worked our whole lives saving so we could give you this, give you this box. All we ask in return is that you spend it and you use it wisely. I've never opened that box. Just stuffed that box away. I have nothing to do with it. I don't even think about it. Now, if that were a true story, 
Andrea's like, are we, do you need to tell me, you got something to tell me up here? <laughs> Hold on a second. Say what? <laughs> she said, that sucks. Uh, if that were a true story, what were you thinking? When I'm like, I never even opened it. You're like, open the box, you idiot, right? Like, do you not know what, we have a capital campaign. You got all these things, right? Like, your grandparents might have set you up for life. Uh, they did set me up for life, but not financially, in a much deeper way. Listen to me. I'm make the point now, okay? I made you laugh, but let me hit you with the point. Uh, tongues is the gift, right? But prophecy is the means by which we open the box. And so you've been given this incredible gift, but it has to be, for the most part, for the edification of the church body, coupled with prophecy, so that there cannot just be you know, edification for you, but there can be interpretation that leads to edification for the whole entire body. Sound good? Good. Thanks for letting me lie to you then for just a minute. God doesn't give you anything, doesn't give anything to the church to harm the church, so prophecy has been given to safeguard the church. Speaking an intelligible word, not just an unintelligible word. Speaking words of wisdom, not just words that cannot be understood. Tongues and prophecy work together to bring spirit and to bring mind under the same authority. That's what Paul is saying, right? Whenever I sing, I can sing with my mind. And sometimes you feel this in here in worship, right? Like you're singing. It feels like you kind of got called up into something else, called up into the kingdom of God. You've spoke to someone. You feel like at times, right? I'm not even speaking. Someone else is literally speaking like the Lord is in this house. He's in this room. He's in me right now. And so he's saying that's good and right and great. And whenever you couple these things together, it is spirit and mind that come together for the overall glory and the beauty of the church. I would rather speak five words of prophecy. He says five words of wisdom, five words of knowledge, five words of truth, five words of discernment, five words of teaching, five words of fill in the blank so that the church might be built up and so that non-Christians might come to faith, then 10,000 words that just exalt me. I mean, there's nothing to see here, right? Like if I got up on stage and I just start babbling into the air and I'm like, oh, look at me. This is all about me. This is the Corey show. You'd be like, I'm out of here. Right? It's not about building yourself up. It's about building up the kingdom of God by pointing people to the king. And he said it is through wisdom that we do that, through discernment we do that, through intelligible words. That's how we get full edification. It comes through interpretation. Fifth point. Oh, I'm making great time. Fifth point. Tongues without prophecy then destroy the church. Tongues without prophecy destroy the church. And this is an incredible warning here. I did some digging I'll try to make it as simple as I can. Words matter is the big idea. Verse 20. Uh, brothers, listen, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, for sure. But in your thinking, now be very mature. Be mature. Uh, in the law, it is written, okay, so from Isaiah, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, uh, says the Lord. And so I, this is such a, man, a heavy challenge and warning for the church. And so I've been praying all week that I can just bring some clarity here. Uh, what Paul is referencing here is Isaiah 28, verse 11. And so what had happened was the Israelites had stopped listening to the word of God. They stopped listening to his decrees, to his commands, to the law of God. Yeah, you can leave that up. They started listening to the word of God for generation after generation after generation. They stopped listening. And so God says, okay. If you're not going to listen to me, you're not going to listen to anyone. If you're not going to listen to me, then I'm going to actually have you conquered by someone you can't stand to listen to. I'm going to have you be conquered by someone you can't even understand, someone who speaks a different language than you, a foreign language to you. So this portion here in Isaiah 28, he says, For by people of strange lips and with foreign tongues, the Lord will speak 
to this people. So he's not saying, I'm done with you. He's not saying, I've written you off. He said, hey, I'm going to speak, but it's not going to be with my words anymore. It's going to be with my actions. Watch me remove some of my grace from you so this folk, these folks will come in and literally invade the people of God, take them into Assyrian captivity, and have them be there for a plethora of years. He's like, I'm done talking with my mouth. Watch my actions. And man, when you get that, I believe what Paul is saying here is, is the reality that uh, the misuse of tongues is a foreign invasion to the people of God. It's a foreign invasion to the body of Christ. It's not just heretical, it's, it's damning, it's consuming, Then, which means God will allow that gift. And some of you in your story have seen this. God will allow that gift to consume you. Uh, God will allow that gift, or the abuse of that gift, I should say, to consume the church. You can see this all over TV and the internet. And ultimately, what God will allow, I would say, in his mercy, because they deserve far worse, is to allow that gift, the misuse of that gift, to take a church captive. Perhaps this is part of your story. You can see it everywhere. I had the, I will say, opportunity for this moment. I had the opportunity to go to one of my family members' church uh, a few years ago. And it was a church just like this in the scripture. And we're sitting in there and... (laughs) so stupid. These two men get up, and they're like, we're going to do some team preaching today. We're going to do some team preaching today, church, some team preaching. And you could tell they didn't have anything planned. They had nothing organized. There was no preaching of the word. There was no gospel. And by the end of the service, all they were really trying to do, they're all up there, like, I mean, stereotypical southern, um, this might not be everyone's experience, Pentecostal church. They're all up there in sport coats, sweating their faces off, just yelling at people until they finally begin to stand up and blabbery start blabbering in front of everyone. And they're like, oh, you got the, the Holy Ghost is here. Tongues of fire up here. If you respond to the gospel, then tongues of fire will flow out of your mouth. And the other guy's all saying whatever the heck he was saying. And I was sitting there, man, like, I'm the only one sitting down in the whole church. If I had a bag of popcorn, I'd have stayed. I was like, what? It, what is this? You know, like, what is happening right now? <laughs> so ridiculous. And so I did stand up. I stood up and I walked straight to the little kids area and I got my kids and then I left. You know, I didn't make a scene. Heretical nonsense is what that is. No gospel. I would say probably no lampstand. The spirit did not feel as if he was in that place. There was no prophecy. There was no intelligible word that was shared. It was only unintelligible words that would share that brought no edification to the body as a whole. I was literally like, have you literally never read 1 Corinthians 14? It says you're not even allowed to do this. Like, what are you all doing? So I just got up and left. The Lord will use the misuse of a gift, listen, to destroy the people of God for a season as a part of his authority and discipline as a good father. The second thing is this, tongues without prophecy, the last point. I have 10 minutes. I can just camp out here. You guys want to talk about something else? Like, Anything else? Do a Q&A here in a little bit. Tongues without prophecy, okay, destroy the unbeliever. Okay, so if you've not felt very convicted yet, hopefully this portion of the text will lead you to experience some conviction as the holidays are right around the corner. How do you speak in front of your non-believing family? Well, family are difficult. That's not an excuse. So tongues without prophecy destroy the unbeliever. Verse 23. Uh, If therefore... The whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter now. Get the imagery in your head. 
If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, babbling in the air, he's saying, and outsiders and unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy, speak an intelligible word, and an unbeliever, an outsider enters, oh, he is convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, listen to me now, falling on his face, church family, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. All right, people walk in, they see a bunch of Christians standing up, babbling like babies in the air. They're going to be like, bro, I told you these fools were crazy, right? Let's just go to Denny's. And, but, but he's saying like, but, but if non-Christians come in and, and we're speaking wisdom, you know what I mean? Like speaking discernment to them, speaking hope to them, speaking actual good news to them instead of just something that the culture has conjured up and called it good, even though there's no framework there by which it can actually be called good. Or we say like there's, here's some intelligible words for you. He says, well, now then those five words that we might speak matter because the non-believer might be led to faith and the non-believer might hear the gospel and the non-believer might be moved to actually stop looking at his gifts or her gifts or thinking he or she can save herself or he and she can do enough work to enter into the kingdom of God. Like if you come in and they're speaking discernment and speaking something intelligible and you're speaking of the word of God, well then you're only going to be able to point people to the word they put on flesh. And now we get to start proclaiming the gospel. It doesn't have to be some crazy wild thing. It can be about five words. Hey, you were born great, dead, died in your sin because of Adam and Eve. God promised to send his son. That son has come. He gives you life eternal. That's the gospel. A little bit more than five words, but five points. Right? Like, it's that simple. And he's saying you don't have to come up and manifest something within yourself, but instead what you can do is speak some intelligible words lest the non-believer comes into your presence and continues on into destruction. Like, your words matter. And so if you haven't felt convicted yet, consider that as you move into the holidays, first one coming really in two weeks to set off the holiday season. As you're sitting there at the dining room table with your aunt or your uncle, you can't stand to sit around. It's hurt you or robbed you or something. You're sitting with some other family, right? They've been fueled perhaps by unintelligible words their whole life. And heaven forbid the Lord has taken you out of the world and stuck you in front of them for a minute so you can give them the gospel, It can be a missional opportunity for you at Thanksgiving. Like your words matter. What you have to say matters. If you're just shooting the breeze and looking at Black Friday ads, what are we doing? It's an incredible opportunity with people we never get to see that are never acquainted with the church to have no idea who Jesus is. And we get to come before them and go, hey, there's something to be, there's someone to be thankful for. And it ain't that dry turkey in there, right? It might be grandma's (laughs) pumpkin pie, but... His name is Jesus, yeah? There's this incredible opportunity. Your words matter. Your words matter. Listen to me. The primary way that we prophesy is through reading and speaking what? God's word. The primary way that God brings people to faith is through his what? Through his word, right? The failure to interact with God's word regularly will leave you speaking unintelligible words to everyone. So you have to take up a good discipline and diet of being in the what? The word. So the words matter, right? Whenever you're continuing, when you walk away from the word or you're not using the word in a way to speak into people's lives, your words no longer bring life. They only bring death. 
Your words will not bring, will not set the captive free, you could say, but rather lead them deeper into slavery. I would even go as far to agree with Paul here. Crazy. Your words might become even an invasion for a Christian that you're setting across the table from. May further push away a non-believer. Your words matter. They're not meant to capture but to set free. We're almost done. Verse 26. It says this. What then, uh, brothers? When you come together, listen, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, something that is intelligible. Let all things be done for building up, for the edification. If, if, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three. That's pretty clear. And each even in turn, one, two, three. And let someone interpret that. But if there is no one to interpret Let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And this, listen here, verse 32. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Real quickly, what he means there is this. You will not be able to, dis- to discern something and speak something that contradicts this. And so God speaks through his people, God speaks through his word, and God speaks through his spirit. And we say around here, if those three things don't line up, what? He ain't saying it. It is not his word. And so if one were to come and say, have a, have a word, hey, the Lord done gave me a word. I'm like, let's go. Does it match what he would say in here? Does he match the discernment of good godly men and women? Okay, then maybe that is from the Lord. So The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, to the word. Verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. We're just going to keep reading. Verse 36, okay, for those that object, or was it from you that the word of God came? Well, the answer there is unequivocally what? No. Or are you the only one it has reached? And you hear people in the church say stuff like that. We must not just... Have it like I have. It must not be as empowered, as spirit-filled, as spirit-led, as spirit-driven as the language that they will use. Turns out it's the same Holy Spirit. Amen? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. That's different than what we learned about in light of what 1 Corinthians has to say about women and their roles in ministry. We talked about that three weeks ago. This is a command from the Lord, not a cultural expression. If anyone does not recognize this, well, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to what? To prophesy. Oh, heaven, come down. If churches would care more about preaching the gospel than some emotional experience. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of a, maybe you don't go to church here, a, pre, a present church that you're part of. Do not forbid speaking in tongues simply because you have been hurt or been pushed to misuse something. Verse 40, but all things should be done decently and in order. Now, it is important to note here as Paul is saying this thing, he's saying things should be done kind of in an orderly fashion, one at a time. And I would say in an orderly fashion in accordance with the culture that you're a part of. If everyone's just up running around being crazy, waving flags, falling out, dropping modesty cloths on folks and all the crazy nonsense that happens in the charismatic movement, that's probably not healthy. That's probably not of the Lord, right? But if folks are like, you can cut loose a little bit, turns out you can, you can raise your hand a little bit during worship, it's okay. You don't have to do like the white amen all the time, which is, mm, 
That's what y'all, a lot of y'all do. Mm, you know, it's part of being Anglo. I get it. You can let loose a little bit, but it should be like culturally appropriate. And so the way that we serve in this church, or, or sorry, respond in this church and worship will look different than whenever I was at Mike Bird's church. You preached here a few weeks ago. I was at his church two weeks ago, and his wife got up. I call her Mama Bird. She's unbelievable. She led worship, and she said, hey, I just want to let you all, a bunch of white folks were in there, and she's like, I just want to let you all know out the gate, we are an unapologetically, unapologetically black church, and we're about to get black. And I was like, let's go, you know, like, let's go. And she took us to church that day, let me tell you. She took us to church and worship. It was awesome, right? The gospel of Jesus says that, right? You're, the culture here should look different than the culture in Kenya or the culture somewhere else in the world. And the way that we respond should be a little bit different. That's the beauty of the gospel. And so he's saying, but in light of that reality that the gospel sets us free to worship, it should be, in fact, orderly. Last thing that I have then for you is this. Words matter, okay? God cares for us. He cares about his word. By his word, he spoke nothing into something. And then by the word of the enemy, we rebelled against him. Do not let me lead you astray here. We are, in fact, the Israelites who turn a deaf ear to the sovereign Lord of all creation. We are no different in that regard. And God loved us so much that he sent the what? The word. To die in our place as our substitute. And whenever Jesus comes, what does he fulfill? He fulfills the what? The word of God. And then whenever he goes to the cross, he dies in your place in your substitute, as your substitute because you cannot keep the what? The word of God. And then he went in the grave. And I imagine the disciples said, oh, my word, where is he at? You know? But then three days later, happy Easter, church family, what does the word do? Resurrects about the grave. Sends us the Holy Spirit so they can write what on our hearts? The word of God on our hearts, the book of Corinthians says, words matter. God cares. Why don't you all stand with me today? As they usher in communion here for you. Uh, every week we take communion together as a family. This week will be no different. Um, since there are some guests in the house, I'll be clear in saying uh, you do not have to be a member uh, to partake in communion here uh, at Heights Community. Uh, we do ask that you do submit yourself to the gospel that you've heard proclaimed uh, today, that you see Jesus as the better, uh, as the king, as the savior, as the Messiah, as the one who saved your soul, died in your place, resurrected, sends you the spirit. And if you can say yes and amen to all that, you're more than welcome to come. Uh, I like to always give you a little bit of a challenge as we come to communion. And so I do want to encourage you just to spend a moment and just ask the Spirit, man, who is someone that does need a word? Uh, who's someone in your life that you're looking forward to avoiding this holiday season as we get into it that could actually benefit from the grace and good news of the gospel? Just sit and ask them. Give me somebody to look at as part of being a missional community. Uh, secondly, we do a lot of story work around here, and so I know a lot of your stories. And so some of you might have heard that sermon and the Lord maybe didn't convict you of much sin. Uh, so then that I would, I would ask him to reveal to you what areas of your story perhaps you don't need to confess, uh, but you might need to receive some healing from. Because there are a lot of stories in here where you have experienced spiritual abuse and pastors and other leaders, parents, family have come and try to use a gift that the Lord has graced the church with and used it uh, as an abusive and tyrannical way against you. And in that, you do need healing. And the gospel can heal that as well. So I want to allow you to invite the Spirit to do that. As you come forward here in a minute, you'll see the bread, which represents Christ's body that was broken for you in your place as your substitute. And then you'll see the cup, which represents Christ's blood that was spilt for you, again, in your place uh, as your substitute. If you're new to Heights, when you come through the line, you simply grab a piece of bread and dip it into the cup. Uh, or perhaps you can grab uh, one of the prepackaged elements for you. Let me read the word over you. 1 Corinthians 11. 
It says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new word, you could say, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, uh, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So for those of you who are in Christ, this is a meal uh, that is for you. Come forward whenever you're ready.